Hey, it's episode 306 of the Keto Diet Podcast. My name is Leanne, and I'm so happy that you're hanging out with me today. We are talking about carnivore. Now, I love talking about carnivore. I'm pretty sure I'll never actually do it for more than three days. I always like set out to do the carnivore diet and then I last a couple of days and I crave plants so badly and my body feels like it's dying (laughs) and I go back to eating plants. But I am so fascinated at the carnivore eating style, just the whole thing about it. And our guest today, Judy Cho, is brilliant. Her story of just her story is amazing. You guys are going to love today's episode. I was so inspired at the end of our episode. She has such a balanced way of looking at the carnivore diet of nutrition. Now, Judy Cho is a nutritional therapy practitioner, and she holds a psychology and communications degree from the University of California, Berkeley. Judy is the author of Carnivore Cure, the ultimate elimination diet for optimal health. Judy has a functional nutrition and holistic health private practice serving both clients remotely in and in Austin, Texas. Judy works with clients by focusing on the root cause for unarmed array of health challenges. Together, they work to create individualized solutions, prioritizing nutrient-dense foods that are sustainable for the long term. Prior to becoming a nutritional therapist, Judy Cho was a management consultant at top five consulting firm for over 12 years. She is now leveraging her psychology degree and nutritional therapy education to help serve the community in the most effective ways. Judy is a nutritional advocate for the carnivore diet and on most days her two young boys follow a low carb or ketogenic diet. Judy focuses on debunking nutritional misinformation and promoting self-knowledge and self-advocacy, something I can really get behind. She shares bite-sized holistic nutrition information with her infographics on social media platforms. She is a passionate about helping people to be their best selves and live their best lives. I have included the link to Judy's Instagram in the show notes. If you're unsure how to access the show notes, either click around on your app or go to the Google machine and type in the app you're using to listen to this episode and then show notes. And there's bound to be a tutorial on how to access the show notes. Judy's Instagram is phenomenal. She gives away so much free quality, amazing content, guys. Whether you're carnivore or keto or just a regular human that just wants to treat their body right, so much good information. So be sure to check that out and let's do this thing. Hey, I'm Leanne Vogel. You're listening to the Keto Diet Podcast. I've created a free guide with tips on how to start keto and maintain your fat-fueled life. Grab it at healthfulpursuit.com slash free as a little thank you for listening to the show. Hey, Judy, how's it going? Good. How are you doing? I'm so good. I'm so good. Thank you so much for coming on the Keto Diet Podcast today. No, thank you so much for having me. Um, when I did keto a few years ago, you were probably the first podcast I listened to. So, you know, this is, uh, <laughs> so, uh, and I think that was over three years ago. So, you know, this is a blessing to um, be on here and I it feel like it's my honor. So thank you. Wow. <laughs> that's too face. cool. Cause you're like a really big deal. <laughs> I'm really not. So thank you. <laughs> but I really, yeah, you know, back then I really, really enjoyed your podcast and um, it helped me to just get acclimated to the keto diet. And it brought me, it was like a part of my journey to get to healing. So yeah, I, I actually never told you that. So thank you. No, I had no idea. So you, okay. Now I need to know the story. So yeah, before keto, just take us through your life, (laughs) starting from, you know, maybe before keto and what that looked like and how you got into carnivore. Yeah. Yeah. So I was a, okay. So college years, um, I was studying pre-med. I ended up not doing it and I then majored in psychology, but during that time I started gaining a little bit of the weight, you know, the freshman 15. And so I started doing a plant-based diet. I got into the introduced to the master cleanse and I've always been very inquisitive. So then I started reading the doctor's little mini book on, you know, why the master cleanse works and then how kind of meat just putrefies in your gut for the longest time. And so 
I was like, okay, maybe it's meat that's causing me to be sick. So I went plant-based. Um, so I had occasional fish, but no red meat, no chicken, no pork, um, none of that, um, for 12 years. And so, you know, I got to a weight that I guess, you know, I'd be happy with, but my mental health started really declining, um, extreme anxiety, extreme depression. My ex-boyfriends or friends or colleagues would always go, I don't know which Judy I'm going to get today, you know, and that type of thing. And I never once thought it was my diet because I mean, born and raised in California, I was applauded for being plant-based, right? It's like, yes, uh, pro animals, pro health, health is through plants. And so I believed it never once thought it was my plant-based diet. And then I ended up getting married. Um, I moved to Austin about 10 years ago and then, and I was still plant-based and actually Austin's pretty plant-based friendly too. Um, they're very meat-based friendly, but they're very plant-based friendly as well. And so when I had my first son, um, still having, um, the plant-based diet. Oh, and the other part I forgot is, um, so in that period for 10 years, I probably str struggled with the severe eating disorder. So I think behind closed doors, the body was craving fat and I wasn't eating a ton of it. So at night I was hungry, hungry, hungry. And I started binging off of any junky fat foods. And then I was like, Oh no, I got to keep up this kind of, you know, belief that I'm super healthy now. So then I started using, you know, like purging mechanisms, whether it was restriction or, you know, all the other kind of mechanisms. And so when I got married, I still kind of kept at it. And then I had my baby and that's when everything just hit the wall. I was breastfeeding and at six months I got mastitis and I had to take antibiotics. And for some reason, I don't know if it was the eating disorder behaviors, the lack of nutrients, um, the breast milk taking a lot of my um, nutrients. But when I took the antibiotics, my memory got wiped out. And so to this day, I have no idea what happened. The doctors in the mental, so basically my, my parents and my husband freaked out and they took me to the mental hospital and, um, they had me overnight. They actually put me on a 72 hour mandatory lockdown where they thought I might be a harm to myself. Yes. And again, I have no memory of this. And so I stayed there and the doctor, I talked to the psychiatrist there, they put me on antipsychotics. So I had to stop nursing. And they told me that Never once did they ask me about my diet, but they just said she has severe, severe postpartum depression. And so she needs to get on medication. Um, she needs to take um, antidepressants, antipsychotics. She needs to stop nursing. And um, as the psychologist talked to me more, they were like, maybe your eating disorder has some bits of the issue. So we think you should go into intensive therapy. And so I did. And so, you know, I get always emotional when I talk about this part, but so during that time, every day, I would always ask for my son. And in the hospital, they'd always say, oh, Judy, you stopped nursing because you are on meds. And every day I would cry. And so I went through this kind of Ferris Bueller, you know, that type of the Groundhog's Day every day for like 10 days. And after I had to still be away from my son for almost a month while I got intensive therapy. And so he was with my parents in California while I was in Texas. So like all the thoughts of fearing as a failure, as a mom came true for me. Right. So it's like, I wanted to do everything for my kid and I failed. I mean, I couldn't breastfeed. I couldn't, I couldn't even be with him physically for a full month. And that really hit home for me. And so fast forward, um, I, I had my second son and, or I was pregnant with my second son. And this time I was really scared that this would happen to me again. I even got a will. I mean, imagine in your early thirties getting a will because you're freaked out that you might either die or you might never get your memory again. After two weeks, I did get my memory. It just happened. It just like something kind of went off in my head and I was like, wait a minute, what's going on? And everything was normal. It was so bizarre. I don't really know what happened, but, and so when I um, had my second, I was just, something has to do with nutrition, right? So after the eating disorder facility, I learned a lot about self-love and self-care and putting myself first to then support others. But the way that they would teach us about nutrition would be, hey, no food is off the table. Now, if you want to practice veganism or vegetarianism, we'll fully honor it. So no meat. But if you want to say low carb, no, 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 that's not a thing. Sugar is not a demon. Carbohydrates is not a demon. Some of the challenge foods, foods that we would say that trigger us to maybe binge or do whatever else, those foods are, are, are test foods that we must 
test ourselves with. And as long as we feel a hundred percent okay after that is the definition of healing for doing that kind of stuff for about six months. So, Hey, you need to be able to eat junky foods and be fully fine with it. And that's how you're healed from an eating disorder. And so when I left, I learned a lot of the intuitive eating, mindful eating. I did get a lot better. I learned a lot of the social psychology skills, but every once in a while I kept falling again. And again, I was still plant-based. So I eventually found keto. I tried it, but I was doing it in a plant-based version and it helped a lot. But again, it would happen where, you know, a little bit of those sweeteners would then one day turn to sugar. And then the one day turn to sugar would then end up in a binge. And I think a lot of it again is I don't, if I had done keto with meat, maybe it would have been different, but I never did it with me. And so as I was following, you know, social media for keto, I started seeing a lot about this carnivore diet. And, you know, I thought, you know what, at this point, my health matters more than an identity. And I see these, all these healing benefits from carnivore, like why not just try it? And I tried it and it has changed my life. So keto has, you know, definitely helped for that full year, but I'd always end up falling every few months. And then it really took carnivore to just say, you know what, sugar doesn't exist. Carbohydrates don't exist. These are toxic foods or they just are not foods and you don't touch it. You don't even think about it. So you're fully abstaining that I was able to heal. Now I'd say the first six months, I'm not going to say it was perfect. Like the first Christmas holiday period, I completely went keto again, you know? So there was that, but eventually, I mean, I'm now on my third year of doing it and my husband, this is the best way to kind of explain it, but my husband was very anti-carnivore. He's like, that just does not sound normal. He met me when I was plant-based. So he was shocked to see me eat like a chicken leg, you know, for the first time. But after me being carnivore for six months and then a year and him seeing the 180 degree shift in who I am as a person, my emotional mood swings, the I never get depressed, all of these things. He's like, you know what? If you want to do this for the rest of your life, I fully support you. And so that is the extreme difference of who I am as a person. I used to isolate, you know, all the things you do when you feel shame in yourself. I used to do that and I never do that now. Um, I'm able to produce content for the public, right? So it's just, it's such a change. And if I had known that it was just me that could actually save me and my mental health and like even some gut healing, I would have never done what I did. And I think about how I could have and how I could have been a better mom to my child back then, right? Like maybe I would have never had that separation. I could have enjoyed my time with my kid. There were times where I'd be so fixated on my eating disorder that I'm like, oh, I can't wait for him to nap so I can go binge and purge and do all that. I didn't have that with my second. I mean, so my first son, I had to stop at six months because I was taking antipsychotics. And now my second son, he's four and a half years old and he is still nursing. So that is, I really believe that is the power of meat. Yeah. <laughs> I'm speechless. Your story is just so incredibly inspiring. Also that your struggle, like it sounds like there's some, you know, regret and there was shame during the moment and the guilt of not being able to be with your son. But it sounds like that feeling that you had has now fueled all the work that you're doing now. Yes. And Absolutely. that's so beautiful. Thank you. Yes. Um, I had, I don't talk about the darkest, darkest days, you know, I generalize it, but I mean, there were days where I would be by the toilet and I'm like, this is not a life worth living or a point of desperation where I'm just like, this sucks. Right. I had goals at the, when I hit 30, that I'd want to be thin. I'd want like every single materialistic thing. And I hit it and I was the most depressed person you could find. And I realized it doesn't matter if you have money. It doesn't matter if you're the thinnest. It doesn't matter if like all these guys are gawking at you. It doesn't matter if you are not happy with yourself. And it took me to eat me and then have kids to really kind of see the whole like writing on the wall. And now I just want to give back. I don't want people to be at in the bathroom struggling. If you know that you can eat meat and actually be relatively thin, right? Because if an obese body is technically you're kind of sick, something's in the body is causing the inflammation and the weight gain. But if you can meet, eat meat and heal, then maybe that's an option instead of us fearing red meat and, you know, not eating saturated fats or eating any kinds of healthy fats when we need that for our hormones and our gut health. And majority of our mental health is 
a lot of the neurotransmitters are in our small intestine. And so we have to think, why are we following a diet that's actually harmful to mental health and even for just our um, overall healthy bodies? I don't think I can do the ketogenic diet because I love wine. This is the statement that so, so, so many women have told me. And my answer is always, but have you heard of Dry Farm Wines? They're the only wine club that offers zero sugar wines. This means that you can have a glass or two maybe three, and it won't affect your ketones. All of their wines are sourced from small sustainable farms. They're natural, organic, low in alcohol, have zero additives, zero carbs. And when you order by going to healthfulpursuit.com slash wine, you're going to get an extra bottle of wine for a penny in your first order. Again, that's healthfulpursuit.com slash wine. And if you're unsure of the link, simply check out today's show notes for all the details. Yeah. And something you said there is somebody also who's um, had an eating disorder when you were talking about, you know, being that little check mark of like, yep, she's healed from an eating disorder when she can eat all the junk food. Um, And it's really challenging, you know, to kind of, for people to wrap their heads around what you just said of, you know, with an eating disorder, having restriction actually helped you overcome an eating disorder. And mine was the exact same. Also, as soon as I got off the carbs and didn't have that uh, veil of like constant sugar hungry, constant feeling like I could just reach for the next thing. And I had to control myself when carbs were out the window, then I just didn't have those feelings. And then I stopped binging and purging. And then all of a sudden it's now been four years and I don't have an eating disorder. And so I think it's hard for people to wrap their head around what you just said about like going carnivore helped you overcome an eating disorder, like restriction. Can you explain a little bit more about, about that? Yes. So in my book, um, you know, when I was going, so during one of my maternity leaves, I decided to go to nutritional therapy school. And that's how I became a nutritional therapy practitioner. Cause I fell in love with nutrition. It was like constant. Oh my gosh, this was misinformation. That was misinformation. And then it became such a passion. And I never thought I'd actually practice it. I just thought, you know, I wanted to learn for myself and in there, they recommended a book. It's by Gretchen Rubin. I don't remember which exact book it is from her, but she talks about abstainers and moderators. And she said that for every kind of like addictive behavior, we tend to be, or we fall into a category of either we're an abstainer and a moderator. And that was so eye-opening for me. So really what she's saying is that some of us are wired where you know, like, let's say you're a moderator. And so you like to moderate. So you can have a little bit of chocolate and then you can kind of step away from it. Maybe you never eat it again. And it, but if I were to tell a moderator, Hey, you can never eat that again. They will go, they will literally feel like they're going crazy. The fact that they can never have something will make them feel really unwell. And now for the abstainers, we are more of the types where it's, if we say you can have a little bit, we don't know how to moderate. So a little bit becomes a lot of it, right? And so that sort of, and the thing is the world is kind of revolves around a moderator world, right? Everything in moderation is not a bad thing. To moderate is really living, right? All of these kind of thought processes. So when you think I'm just going to cut out fully carbs, or I'm just going to cut out something fully people like, Oh, that is extreme. That's abstaining. And that is not healthy. That's not normal. And so we try to fit ourselves in a moderated world. But if you are an abstainer, it actually makes sense why we do better without saying, okay, you can have 20 grams of carbs because that little bit of decision-making of what carbs to eat for an abstainer is tremendously difficult. And so if you think about how we stop drinking alcohol, we're not like, okay, you can have one shot of alcohol a day, right? Or you can have one little bit of tobacco or some, something else. We say, no, you have to completely abstain from it. And there are studies where sugar is shown to be addictive. So if we know that, then maybe if we just completely abstain from sugar, we will feel a lot better, right? So this is where understanding your personality and knowing if you're an abstainer or a moderator is tremendously helpful, um, especially on the days that it's really hard to abstain from. Yeah. Beautifully said, beautifully said. And something that also you pointed to was the gut and the relation of carbs 
and your gut and even grains. That's like a big hot topic. You know, when somebody says carnivore, somebody else says grains and carbs and gut. Um, can you explain like what's going on there? Because, you know, I'm, I'm a plant lover myself. I don't know. Like I've tried carnivore once and it was horrible. I just mm -hmm. couldn't get past six days. And all I wanted was a strawberry. And I just love plants. How do you go like, was it that easy for you to remove plants and what was going on in your gut while this was happening? Sure. So, I mean, one thing I'll say about the carnivore diet is, you know, I wrote my book in a way that it's an elimination diet. So it's really, if you have any kind of physical symptoms, mental symptoms, here's sort of like the baseline you can eat and then you can introduce, right? So ideally we're not just masking symptoms by just eating meat. And then if we try to eat something else, we're kind of keeling over. That's not, I don't think that's true health. I think the ability to be flexible if you choose to is what true health is. So if you want to eat strawberry, if you want to eat the plant, that would be kind of the goal now. So in terms of, for me, I would say, you know, I really missed eating salad. So I had a big spinach bowl of salad every day of my life for, I don't know, like 12 years. And so I really missed that crunchy, the crunchy salad and stuff, but you know, I actually tried it, I think a year and a half or some period in and then I felt extreme bloat and I felt just really unwell. And it could be that I just introduced so much at once. But to me, the thing is about the plants. So in kind of summary, the thing about plants is that if you think about animals, they can run from their predators, right? But with plants, they cannot run. And so they, in order to kind of continue their their species the best way that they're going to do that is just having protective mechanisms within their body and so that's what a lot of us call the anti-nutrients and a lot of these anti-nutrients are what damage the gut or what cause more gut permeability so if you think about gluten right that's an anti-nutrient um, at its simplistic term it's what it's the gluten in proteins in animal foods that can cause like holes in your gut right and then there's also like a doctor made lectins more popular that's in a lot of grains nuts seeds and some vegetables and again that is very toxic to the gut so it slowly kind of causes holes in the small intestine there's also oxalates, which can um, exacerbate getting kidney stones. So every plant has like every anti-nutrient you could think of. Now there are more severe ones. Like I think in general, most people shouldn't be eating legumes, grains, and nuts because, and seeds, because I mean, that's what uh, the grains, the nuts and seeds is what lets the plant continue their life. So obviously they don't want you to eat it. And so that's why there's a lot more toxins. A lot of these toxins will affect the gut. And so why it's so bad that it affects the gut is because in your small intestine, that's where 70 to 80% of your immune system is. And that is also where we absorb most, most of our nutrients. So if you think about when people say leaky gut, like what is that? So in your small intestine, the inner part of the small intestine has a bunch of little hairs. They call it the villi and the microvilli. And those things are supposed to grab our nutrients whenever we break down our food. And it can grab any like good nutrients, but then over time, if we've been eating grains, nuts, seeds, and a lot of other kind of toxic uh, foods to our gut, eventually the tight junctions that are in the small intestine will open up and some of the proteins and the foods will then leak into our bloodstream. And that's what they call leaky gut. And that bloodstream is then where a lot of like the autoimmune can happen. So what ends up happening is the food that was never supposed to be there, some of the proteins get into the bloodstream and then the, your immune system tags it as an invader and then starts um, saying, okay, from now on, if you see this kind of protein, we must attack it. And the thing is so many of our body parts, um, like our thyroid has similar makeups of proteins that then the body starts attacking and it's autoimmune. And that's how we get Hashimoto's. It really stems from the gut. And so, you know, you, we have to wonder Nowadays, we're eating a lot more plant-based friendly foods. So the genetically modified foods, a lot of these other greens we we're talking about, they didn't exist long, long ago. And so we have to wonder if some of these foods are what's causing our gut health to get damaged and then cause all the other sicknesses in our body. Yeah. So that's kind of how gut health is affected by plant foods. And so when you're doing an elimination diet type of meat diet, 
you're basically removing a lot of the culprit foods that can cause gut damage that don't allow some of the meat and the nutrients to get better absorbed. So you can think of it as like, here's what I'm going to eat for now while I heal the gut. And then I can kind of see what else I can tolerate. But when you're, you have a lot of symptoms, when you have autoimmune, um, you have any of like skin issues, a elimination diet can actually be really helpful. And why I chose meat was, you know, as I even got into nutritional therapy, if you think about every elimination diet, AIP, so autoimmune paleo, Whole30, uh, GAPS diet, all of these diets, even FODMAP, they all remove certain parts of the plant, but they all include meat, right? And so it's telling, what if there's an elimination diet that only has meat for a little bit while you heal, and then you can start taking on some plants if you choose to. The thing is, if your gut is not ideal, the meat is in the most bioavailable form. So you'll have the best chance of absorbing nutrients from meat than with plants. So as an example, you know, we always think uh, carrots have so much beta carotene, but beta carotene has to be converted to vitamin A to be used and absorbed. But one, some people don't have the genetic makeup to even do that conversion or you could just eat like beef liver, which is really, really rich in it. And it's in the form that your body can use. And there's tons of examples like that. So when you just break down the science, it's just, it makes a lot of sense why meat is really healing and why it probably did such a healing job for me. You're brilliant. That was amazing. <laughs> no. um, I've never had somebody explain the VLI and just everything in a way that made sense to somebody who maybe didn't study this. So thank you so much for breaking it down so beautifully. And as somebody who's myself personally, I've been on AIP for three years and it's tolerable, but you know, to, to, to find a protocol that could perhaps actually heal the body so that you could eat the food sometimes that you couldn't eat. Like, I think that there's a lot of promise in that, which is why I tried carnivore, but it's just plants, man. I just love them so much that a question that I do have, and maybe just a thought, as I was saying that sometimes we eat the foods that we are sensitive to because it creates, what is it? It creates that, uh, is it oxytocin, oh. um, a hit, when we're eating the foods that we're sensitive to, do you find that also with carnivore? Like, is there like a kind of a, a period of time where you're like, for you, like, all I want is this spinach salad. Uh, and then slowly over time, you just don't crave it as much. I think sometimes I believe that our bodies have, um, you know, the innate wisdom where we'll crave something specific. So let's say I'm craving dark chocolate, right? I don't really crave it anymore. I think my gut bugs kind of are gone that crave those specific carbs, but if I'm craving dark chocolate, my guess is maybe it's magnesium, right? So then maybe I use some magnesium spray. So if your gut is kind of damaged and you're just consuming magnesium in supplement form, it may not absorb as well as if you're just putting some spray on and then it directly goes into your bloodstream. So I do believe that that's often a case, um, especially with sodium. So your adrenals, for example, use up a lot of sodium. So if you're really stressed, you're probably going to need more sodium. And so if you're craving salt, that could be a reason, right? So I do believe that there's feedback. Maybe you were talking about like the hormetic effect with, so if you eat blueberries, which are actually toxic for our bodies, but the toxicity then produces, um, has our body produce more glutathione, which is an antioxidant. And that's why they consider blueberries antioxidants, but they're actually not, they're actually a toxin. And then it, triggers glutathione to be produced and which then, you know, is a antioxidant for the body. So maybe it's some of that, but I really think a lot of it is our bodies are always craving things that it hasn't had or that it needs. And one thing I see so much for women that have had hormonal issues, thyroid issues is the craving for fat. So a lot of women will go, okay, I try to increase my fat and then I can't stop eating the fat. So I'm scared to eat the fat. And it's like, well, maybe your body wants fat and it's telling your brain, tell her to eat more, tell her to eat more. Right. So it's just these little nuances that I think if we can get back to listening to our body, then we'll kind of, you know, cause if you think about it, when we are trying to eat something rotten, our first gut instinct is you smell it and you feel like, Oh, I cannot eat that. Right. So if you think about when we eat certain vegetables, we automatically feel that bloat. There's no question about that. So maybe that's not normal, right? But we think of it as normal. We think of gas as normal, but our human body does not produce gas. It's the carbohydrates, the gut bugs from them that produce gas. So we have to wonder, is that normal or are we making it that it's normal, right? And these are just some of the things that um, 
Yeah. One thing I wanted to say about your love for vegetables. So if you've been on AIP, like this is the thing I would challenge. So all the kind of more serious anti-nutrients, so oxalates, lectins, phytates, not only do they have, you know, gut damaging tendencies, they also are enzyme inhibitors. So meaning, let me uh, see for specifically, um, so phytic acids, they can uh, block majority of the zinc. So let's say that cashews and chickpeas are really, you know, nutrient dense, but even if you eat it and you're assuming that you're getting all the zinc from these, the cashews, well, in studies, it's shown that it blocks 80% of the zinc. So now let's say that you eat the cashews with some meat, right? So you're like, oh, I want to, you know, eat some fancy paleo dish. And there's some like, I don't know, cashews on the top or something. Well, now it's also going to block some of the zinc from the meat. And so I tell people, fine, if you really want to eat vegetables, and if you're still kind of healing, then eat it by itself so that it is not risking the mineral absorption of all the other foods you're eating. And so this is, these are these little nuances that I talk about in carnivore cure, but I really just want to help people to get to better health. And sometimes we think we revere plants so much. And the book is just talking about some of the scientific truths that are in plants. And it's not to say not to ever eat them, but maybe eat them in a more smarter way or a way that our bodies can better use and absorb them. A while back, we received a question on the podcast about keto bars and how easy it is to eat two, three, or four bars in one sitting. Now, I've thought a lot about this like for quite a while, and I too struggled with it to the point where I couldn't have keto bars in the house because I would eat far too many in place of preparing like a proper balanced keto meal. There's some days where a take along with you bar is convenient and at times absolutely necessary. So I started looking for an alternative, something more balanced and a bar that would deliver nutrients, not just a balance of macros where my body would be satiated by one and not in search of more and more and more. Like I think one time I had six keto bars in one sitting and I didn't feel so good after. And then I found that very bar. So here are the ingredients in the new bar that I'm now eating only one of at, at each sitting. Organic cashew butter, organic tapioca fiber syrup, 100% grass-fed bone broth protein, organic dried apples, organic dates, organic pumpkin seeds, organic superfood blend, which includes organic kale, organic broccoli, organic spinach, organic acerola, organic wild blueberry, organic spirulina, organic ginger, organic turmeric, organic sunflower lecithin, organic cinnamon, organic flavors, Himalayan pink sea salt, organic rosemary extract, and monk fruit extract. Now this is made with certified organic, if you didn't catch that, organic, <laughs> antioxidant-rich superfoods, cold-pressed, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, non-GMO, contains healthy proteins, fats, and vital nutrients, no added sugars, artificial sweeteners, or sugar alcohols. It's very low in natural sugars at four grams or less, depending on the flavor, and it's whole food-based. Now, this bar is from Paleo Valley. They call it the superfood bar, and I'm happy to report I eat one, and I'm satiated, and I move on. No more bar binges. Now, this is huge, 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 huge for me. Head on over to paleovalley.com, load up your cart with superfood bars and whatever else you find that tickles your fancy, enter the code KETO at checkout and receive 15% off your first order. Again, that's paleovalley.com and use the code KETO for 15% off your first order. And so how, how do you eat carnivore now? And how has that changed? Like, I imagine maybe this is not the case and you can definitely correct me, but I know yeah. like on my ketogenic diet, it started off very differently than it is now almost eight years into keto. It's very, very different. Has your carnivore diet evolved and do you recommend an evolution? Cause you're talking about it as an elimination diet. And then like, what does it look like now? Sure. So I, yes, it has changed. Um, when I first started, I was eating like two pounds of, uh, steak pretty much. So mostly muscle meat. Um, I would sometimes have one meal a day and I actually don't recommend this kind of way of eating at all anymore. One, it was making my blood glucose jump up. And so I was getting really tired after meals. And then also just doing one meal a day. I think it, when you think of the digestive process, that's just one chance that your body can absorb nutrients. So if it 
is not ready to do that, it's not going to get a lot of the nutrients. And then secondly, it's just a tax on the gut, right? It's just so much food at once. Your gut now has to produce all the enzymes, all the everything, the digestive enzymes, um, the acid and everything to break it down. So why not just hedge your bets and eat maybe two, three meals a day so you can absorb more of the nutrients. So when I first started, I did the two pounds and then I did, and I did one meal a day. It didn't really work for me. Six months later, I started eating more higher fat. So I went back to more of kind of the, the keto macro. So I ate more 80% fat with like 20% protein. So I was eating about like a pound of meat with um, maybe like three to four tablespoons of fat. And that was the big differentiator for me. So my energy came back, um, just overall generally feeling well. And then I ate two times a day. Now I try to eat a blend of meat. So, you know, I know that there's, there's the whole thought of eat nose to tail, but people are just talking about a cow. Um, I'm probably going to share this soon, but I don't think that just eating a cow will cover all your nutrients. It will cover everything. Yes, but maybe not to the amount that we need. As an example, pork is really rich in thiamine. So if you look at beef liver, uh, um, any muscle meat, it is not that high in thiamine. Either, neither is chicken, neither is fish. You have to probably eat pork to get the thiamine. And thiamine is good for, I think it's for blood clotting. It's, it's just good to even help break down protein. So it's such an important nutrient, but you risk, even if you had two pounds of beef a day, you would not get the the RDA amount of thiamine, maybe you'll get 30% of that. And to me, that's not enough, right? Um, so I would say, if anything, I try to get pork in, I try to get chicken, I try to get beef, I get egg yolks, um, lots of grass-fed butter, and then um, lots of fish. So a lot of my clients are fatty acid deficient, which is omega-3s, DHA, EPA. And I noticed it a lot in carnivores. Carnivores don't like to eat fish because it's not as fatty and rich as a steak, right? But I'm recommend at least three to four servings of fish a week. Um, so that's sardines, salmon, you know, whatever you can get a hold of. Um, if you could get a hold of salmon roe or egg roe, th that is so rich in DHA. So I do think that if you, as ironic as it sounds to say, um, but to eat a variety within a carnivore diet, I think that's the most beneficial for your health. That's so beautiful. And as somebody who has had low B12 levels forever, no matter how much I supplement, it doesn't work. I was like, you know what? I've had enough of this. I'm going to eat two cans of smoked oysters a week oh, yeah. for three months. That's it. That's all I changed. My B12 levels were so beautiful. <laughs> like, yeah, so beautiful. And that's all I changed. I would just, you know, I mixed up with mustard and ate it with some carrots. Um, and you know, maybe I could have done with other carrots, but it just added a crunch. Um, but you know, just those little things, it's always, you know, in my history of also being vegan, it wasn't until I added meat and it's not, it's always the lesson that I learned is no matter how many seeds I add or vegetables I add, if there is not a meat source of that nutrient, it's not going to work. It's not yeah. going to work. You, you, and it's, it's all in the meat. <laughs> yeah. It always goes back to the form that our body can use the best is in the meat form. So even with, you know, if you think about iron, right. So B12 and iron spinach is known for its iron, right. But it's non heme iron versus the meat that has heme iron. So there are many studies that show that the iron from spinach is very not absorbed. So then you know, we are counting it in our chronometer, but it's not really getting absorbed. So does that even matter then? Whereas if you just eat a lot of red meat, your iron level should go up, right? So it's these things. When you were eating the oysters, did you remove, did you stop taking the supplementation? Yeah, I completely stopped yeah. supplementation. I just did two cans a week for three months and the level was perfect. And I mean, I've done methylcobalamin um, shots oh, for okay. months. Same with vitamin D. I did a bunch of different things. I stopped taking the vitamin D injection and just adjusted it with food, um, all meat sources or animal sources, I should say. And my vitamin D level was great too. That's so it was, it was really interesting to see that adjustment. Cause you know, we think I'll just supplement it's, it right. was never enough. It didn't work. <laughs> yeah, no. And I I've seen that too. I mean, you know, in the space we hear, oh, don't eat. Um, and obviously grass fed, grass finished is the best and raw uh, dairies are ideal. But if um, I've seen clients that have eaten only nose to tail, 
beef products and all grass fed. And they're, they were still fatty acid deficient. And I'm like, you need to be eating fish too. Right. Um, and, um, their, even, even their kind of linoleic acid, their PUFA levels were still kind of high. Right. And they weren't eating any of the chicken and pork. So I really think that our bodies, there's a lot more to it than just kind of fine picking these nutrients or eating just the most desirable foods. It's really just eating a variety and healing the gut and then kind of just seeing what works for me, for you from there. Right. So now if I have meat that has some seasoning and herbs, I used to not, I would be such a zealot and I would be like, I cannot eat that. There's herbs, that's plants. And that was my first year. I had to just kind of go through that. And now I'm like, okay, if there's a little bit of sugar, it's fine. And I'm totally fine. Right. I don't feel as good. So the next day I'm like, oh, I feel a little bit of like sluggishness, but in general, you know, now I'm more flexible and I'm more tolerable to like go to dinner with. Right. <laughs> so, you know, I, I really think it's flexibility, but trying to find the foods that work best for you. And that's really the ultimate goal. Right. I really hope you're enjoying today's episode. I'd love to see where you're listening from. You can snap a pic and tag me at Leanne Vogel or leave a review for the show on your favorite podcast player. It helps me out tremendously. Okay, back to the good stuff. And you mentioned grass-fed, finished. Um, how do you feel as a previous plant-based human about like environmental, ethical stuff? I know you talk about that in your book, um, right. but what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So, um, that was my dilemma. Um, you know, I didn't become plant-based for the animals, but then, you know, as I was part of that community, I watched every single plant-based movie you could think of and the, the tears shed during the movies and all of that. But as I dug in, it was one of the areas that I was completely misinformed. So if you think about the monocropping, so where we're just, we are just planting corn or soy, Every time they're using these genetically modified foods and major 90% of corn in America uses genetically modified foods or genetically modified seeds. So every time they use that soil, the soil is becoming depleted of nutrients. And so there's only a finite amount of times they're going to be able to use that soil. And then that is it. There is no more. So one, we are damaging our earth by doing that. And then two, we're not thinking about all when they're doing the tillage and all the animals, the rodents, the birds, the snakes, all of those that are, and even the microorganisms that we need for the grass to grow and for our gut bugs in our bodies to have, all of that is dying. And so if you were to do like a one-to-one -one comparison in animal versus like the plants that are needed, we are killing a lot more animal life or life um, by planting these plants. When you kill one cow, it provides almost six months to a year's worth of meat for one family, for one animal, right? So it's like 600 pounds of meat. And then on top of that, um, I did the research from the EPA. They release a kind of climate change information of like what industries, what foods, what everything is producing all these kind of carbon dioxide, methane, all the things that are damaging our climate. And when you get into the details, initially it looks like what? There's like 20% of farming is damaging our climate. And then when you dig into the actual like base numbers, uh, when I did the math and it's in the book, I think it was maybe 2% or 1.9 comes from cows it, of all the stuff. It's really the industries, the oil companies, that's where majority of it's coming and then really just from a logical perspective during the pandemic, us humans were all locked away, but the animals were not and the climate got cleaner than ever, right? So it is just lots of misinformation that we're like, oh, we need to save the planet by not eating the animals. And it's just not true. If we had no animals, there would be no trees and no soil, quality soil, no grass to grow and then kind of feed the rest of the, I guess, the environment. And I take it like if we were to eat grass fed cows in the way that they were supposed to be treated and raised, and then I die eating that my body's probably more nutrient rich, and then it will feed the dirt and then it'll feed the cows. And it's like the circle of life. And I know that their next generation cow can feed my kids. And it's like this cycle, right? And that's really the beauty of a life. I just don't think these monocrops are doing any good. And it's, Honestly, um, there's a section in the book where I talk about how damaging it is to the health of the, 
I mean, in 10 years alone, the American population has 10 million people have um, become obese, just 10 million in 10 years. And we've been, you know, here forever, like what's going on, right? So 40% of Americans are now obese. If you include under overweight people, it's 70 something percent. And then kids, it's 40% are either overweight or obese. And you got to wonder, you know, we're not eating as much meat now. We're not eating as much fat, but why are we sicker than ever? Maybe our guidelines for food is absolutely wrong. Completely. I would agree with that. And it's, it's scary to see to hear the numbers. I think even um, I had a guest on a couple months ago and she was saying something crazy, like 90% of Americans are metabolically inefficient. And that just 90%. I mean, that's incredible. And it's so challenging. I could see a life of eating meat simplifies a lot of things. (laughs) You know, it checks all the boxes. Can you tell us more about your book, uh, where listeners or watchers can get a copy? Just more about more about your book, lay it on us. Yeah, I mean, the book is really for anyone that wants to that really wants to know about nutrition, right? So I talk about why are we fearing saturated fats? I talk about the Ansel Key studies from long ago with heart disease. I mean, I talk about the concerns of cholesterol, fiber, vitamin C, antioxidants, all of these things that are, you know, are kind of fear mongered in the carnivore space. And then I talk about if you even want to eat plants and seeds, um, how to properly prepare them, right? So there's a full chapter dedicated to that. And I really just give all the information so that if a family wants to use this book to then eat a way that's one will kind of fit in their lifestyle, but also see that, hey, maybe eating foods with red dye is so toxic for us, right? So an example I give is that for 20 years, the FDA has tried to ban red three. It's been known to cause cancer. So they finally got it in our uh, personal care. It is banned in our makeup, our hair products, but it's still legal in our foods. And the argument that one food manufacturer said is no one wants to eat a brown maraschino cherry, right? So they're willing to feed us these red dyes that are known to cause cancer just so we can have an appealing moment in that time that we buy the cherries. But if every parent knew that those cherries or the fruit roll-ups or a lot of these um, dyes are in the kids' foods are possibly causing cancer, you're going to question if maybe you should be eating it or not, right? I'd rather just get a real cherry then at that point. And so these are some of the things I talk about, how there are certain additives and preservatives that are legal in the United States, but are illegal in other countries, like uh, illegal in Canada, illegal in Australia. And why is that, right? Why are the ingredients for the same soft-serve strawberry um, parfait and at McDonald's in the UK so different than the one in America. You know, why, why are these things allowed? And it's just, you know, changing the narrative, starting a discussion. You don't have to go meat-based, but at least know what's in your processed foods to then maybe say, okay, maybe I'll eat these healthier options. The one thing I talk about with the organic plants is just that, yes, they are better than the glyphosates and the GMOs. And I talk about a lot about that in the book, but we use, I think, eight times more per acre for the for a organic product than we use on the GMO kind. So the question just becomes, okay, so the potency is much more and then the um, the frequency is much more. So is it really beneficial that we're also eating a lot of these herbal um, organic herbicides and pesticides? Some of them are so potent that they're now making lab versions of the same organic compound. So you have to want, yeah. Um, I talk about, uh, yeah, and I did a blog post about carrots, how they do that. They use, um, so for the non-organic ones, they use uh, chlor- chlorine uh, water stuff and it's like not good to consume the chlorine ones. But the organic ones, they use citrox, which is an antifungal, antibacterial. So every time you're eating it, and remember it says don't you don't need to wash your carrots. Those organic carrots, the baby ones, that liquid has basically you're almost eating like a um antifungal, anti-herbal, antibiotic. And every time you're eating the carrot. So make sure to at least wash the carrot any kind if it's a baby carrot. Because Either one you pick has some type of toxicity and they don't talk about these things, right? We eat all these medications and it's like, Hey, if you take, um, just take, um, what, what's it called? Take, a uh, oh my, I'm like uh, losing, um, take the, um, some kind of medication if you have acne. Right. Um, and then, but then they Accutane? don't talk about 
Yeah, yeah, no, Accutane. not Accutane. Okay. So Accutane is super high in vitamin A. So that's like yeah. another thing, right? A whole thing. <laughs> um, so then if you're eating vitamin A, right. And then, yeah, but no, if, so if you're taking the like anti-pregnancy, why am I skip? Um, but if you take those kind of medications, when you birth um, control, Yes. Thank you. Sorry. You're like, you yeah, know, so the it, thing that so many women <laughs> take, like, why am I not thinking? Okay. <laughs> so if you take birth control uh, for acne, no one tells you though, because especially you're going to probably take it when you're younger. No one talks about all the other things like folate and other things, other nutrients that you're depleted in. So there's like a table in the book about that. Right. So if you're going to take the statins, make sure to get CoQ10, you know, all of these other um, medications and nutrient depletions. These are just some of the topics I talk about and even how, you know, some shots have just toxic nutrients in them. And so you want to just kind of consider that as well. And the book, you can find it on Amazon. You could also find it at carnivorecure.com. It's C-U-R-E, but it's really, I went through hell and back. I really feel like uh, with my, and I have a second chance at life. I get to be present with my kids. I don't struggle from depression at all. I better manage my anxiety and now I'm present with my kids. And I think if I can give back whatsoever, I really feel like kind of God placed me with all these things I went through. Like, why did I study psychology? Why did I have an eating disorder? Why couldn't I have been an alcoholic and just abstain from that? Right? Like all of these things, I kind of see the writing on the wall. And so I'm just giving back. I hope that the book, you know, can provide the nutritional support to then maybe get to root cause healing in areas that you can't figure out why standard care is just not working. Judy, your book sounds amazing. It's been such a delight to have this conversation with you. I've learned so much and now I'm all charged up and wanting to <laughs> not eat baby carrots ever again. I just had them for lunch. <laughs> um, and just thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much. Thank you for all you do. And thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Keto Diet Podcast. Join us again in a couple of days to discover more Keto for Women secrets for your fat-fueled life. Music for the Keto Diet Podcast provided by Yechi. Follow Jacob on Instagram at Yechi underscore official and on Spotify as Yechi. That's Y-E-C-H-I. The Keto Diet Podcast, including show notes and links, provides information in respect to healthy living, recipes, nutrition, and diet, and is intended for informational purposes only. The information provided is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, nor is it to be construed as such. We cannot guarantee that the information provided on the Keto Diet Podcast reflects the most up-to-date medical research. Information is provided without any representations or warranties of any kind. Please consult a qualified physician for medical advice and always seek the advice of a qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding your health and nutrition program. Notice.